$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Hello, friends. Before we begin today, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves, their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Not all abortions are by choice due to financial or private reasons. Many are medically necessary and without one, pose a significant health risk to the mother. Though the reasonings range, this difficult decision should ultimately be left to choice by a mother and her doctor. Not the government, not depending on where you live, not depending on who you are. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. We encourage you to speak up, to take care, and to spread the word. Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. How's it going, guys? This is the Weekly Warrior Podcast. <laughs> my name is Corey. I'm here joined with my co-host, Bones. We're not going to call him Jared, although his government name is Jared. That is my name. That is your name. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about a figure from World War I. The Meuse River is in France, and the Argonne Forest is also in France. Mm. Um, it was the, like I said, the last push to make the Germans surrender. Um, the Americans had gotten involved in World War I pretty late in the game. And obviously, we know World War I was pretty horrific, pretty terrible. And um, the Americans didn't face the brunt of it, but they helped uh, the Allies win the war. So, so what the fuck is World War I? I don't even What was it about? Man, yeah. World War One is one of those things where, you know, Hitler was a little kid or something. So who Hitler, yeah, Hitler on? was a soldier in World War One in the German army. World War One, I'm not gonna get into all of the I because it, it was so politically like nuanced, World War One, uh, in a much more complicated way than World War Two was. 
World War II was pretty straightforward. I mean, Hitler invaded Poland. The Allied powers, you know, decided we're we can't let that stand, and they sort of joined together and fought back against Hitler. World War One started because of the assassination of the Archduke uh, Franz Ferdinand. Ferdinand. Yeah, Franz Ferdinand um, by a Serbian, basically a Serbian terrorist group, and through different alliances, you know, all these different countries were dragged in to this giant war. And whether they had a, a stake in the game or not, they were involved because they had, you know, they were allied with each other. So, um, yeah, World War One was a shit show. The tactics hadn't caught up to modern technology. Modern technology had uh, really advanced with, you know, tanks and uh, machine guns. And dudes were still just running across barren pieces of land and artillery and planes, all these things that... Uh, hadn't really been a thing before in warfare, and and so it led to ridiculous body counts in the, you know hundreds of like, millions. It was like when CGI came out, and then George Lucas was like, "Let's fucking do it all." <laughs> yeah, and in, there's in no the control, yeah. and there's no no one to tell anybody no because it's just this new great thing. Today we're going to be talking about a guy named uh, Army Major Samuel Woodfill. And I knew nothing about this individual. I'd never even heard his name um, until one of our mutual friends and a friend of the podcast, Dan, uh, educated me a little bit. I was talking to him about sort of uh, obscure military people from American history in, in particular. And he mentioned this guy. He didn't give me any backstory. He didn't tell me anything about him. He just told me, like, that would be a, that'd be a pretty good one. So I, I checked nice. into him. And he good is, idea, Dan. he's an, uh, he's an interesting, he's an interesting and Dan amazing is, individual. So yeah, I will say one thing about Dan. Dan is a great guy, stand up guy, really good at what he does. Yes. And, uh, he could be better at call of duty. Uh, could be better, but you know, we play with him and, <laughs> we do. uh, we do. as far as a professional, you won't find one of higher pedigree and quality. So yeah. Dan, thank you for being an inspiration to the story. <laughs> Yeah, get better at Call of Duty, though. <laughs> yeah, stop playing with the fucking remote. Back to uh, the Muse are gone offensive in 1918. Okay. So, go ahead. Muse is it's a river in a France, river big river in, in France, river in a forest in France. So yeah. people are fighting there. Big, big. Okay, got it. It's a, it's a. So this was a massive push across France to expel the Germans, um, and ah, so eventually it's, get it's them an to allied, surrender. It's an allied offensive. Yep. So this was uh, the largest, or the largest offensive in United States military history. Oh. And the final, it was a major part of the final Allied offensive of World War I. So this, like I said, this lasted from September 26th until Armistice Day, which was the end of the war, on November 11th, 1918. Massive amounts of people, like 1.2 million men, uh, were involved in this offensive. The Germans had about 450,000, so they were pretty wildly outnumbered. And the Americans lost a lot of men in this offensive, like I said, approximately 26,000. And a large part of that was because, at this point, America hadn't been involved in a major 
war in a long time. We'd had some skirmishes, like Spanish-American War, stuff like that, but nothing really on this scale. Intercontinental, bitch. Yeah, I mean, this, this was, like I said, this was World War I. This was yeah. the first, I mean, major thing of that day. And so a lot of the American losses were worsened by the inexperience uh, of many of the troops. And also, the tactics that were used in the early phases were just bad. And it was a lot of learning on the fly. And so that that led to a lot of loss of life, unfortunately. And then on top of that, there was also this widespread uh, onset of a a thing called the Spanish flu. And so Mm. that also played a factor. I read read the Spanish flu actually ended the war. I mean, it played a pretty big role. Not only was this offensive huge, like like I said, we wildly outnumbered the Germans, but yeah. on top of that, the Spanish flu was like killing people, like a lot of people. Yeah. So running yeah. through, interesting. So this offensive, the the Meuse Argonne offensive, was uh, the principal engagement of the American Expeditionary Forces, which that's what uh, we were, our forces were called in World War One. And it was a series of Allied attacks known as the Hundred Days Offensive, which brought an end to the war eventually. Mm-hmm. Within that were a lot of heroic stories. And today we're going to be talking about Army Major Samuel Woodfill. So he is the focus of that. that that's the large scale, what's going on on the world scale. Okay. Uh, here's some smaller stuff. So Army Major Samuel Woodfill. He was one of the most decorated soldiers of World War I, but he was a modest man. And he was known for his excellent marksmanship. But it was his bravery in taking out several machine gun nests during a 1918 battle that earned him fame and the Medal of Honor. Woodfill was born on January 6, 1883, near Madison, Indiana. Growing up in a rural area, he watched his father, a Mexican-American and a Civil War vet, and his older brothers go out hunting. At first, he was too young to go with them. But by age 10, he started sneaking a gun out of his house to shoot small game, because if his older brothers can do it, why shouldn't he do it too? That's fair. The Indiana Historical Bureau said that Woodfill's father was so impressed when he found out, instead of punishing the boy, he let him hunt whenever he wanted. How old is he? He was 10. Good. Good, good, good. So this plays a really big role in his story, the fact that he went out started hunting, became an excellent marksman. I think it's crazy. It's crazy to me when you said his dad was a Civil War vet, and we're talking about World War I, someone who fought in it. That's well, if you think, I mean, me he's born in 1883. That, that was less than 20 years since the end of the Civil War. It's nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. And we, unfortunately, we don't have any World War I veterans living anymore. Yeah, time goes on, you know. Time goes on, that's right. But uh, Samuel Woodfill tried to join the military when he was 15 so he could fight in the Spanish-American War, but he was turned down. Obviously, he was 15. He didn't make it. So he waited a few more years, and he was finally accepted into the Army when he turned 18 in 1901. Woodfill was shipped to the Philippines to serve until about 1904. He volunteered for duty in Alaska. So... He was hunting small game in Indiana, right? He volunteered for duty in Alaska, which is where he honed his marksmanship skills hunting large game in the untamed wilderness. I think this guy just wanted to hunt. I don't think this guy wanted to be in the army. I think he's like, I'm in buttfuck Indiana. (laughs) Oh, that's a good idea. Let's go to Alaska. 
instead of shooting chipmunks, right? I'm shoot fucking moose. I'm gonna ride a moose. I'm gonna ride a moose and shoot a bear. And if you can think about this, I mean, this probably Alaska was like they talk about untamed wilderness. Like this shit was untamed. That's a, yeah. It's even wild now, but I mean, compared to now, 1904. I I mean, I can't imagine what that was. Bro, that's exactly the word. Untamed. Polar bears yeah. and shit. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Okay. Uh, yeah. So he's in Alaska hunting shit. And... So after Alaska, Woodfill served for about two years at Fort Thomas, Kentucky, before being sent to Texas to defend the Mexican border. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of tension uh, between us and Mexico for a long time. Obviously, there was the Spanish-American War. Um, which Teddy Roosevelt played a big part in that. We always got to plug Teddy. So yeah, um, the Rough Riders were a big part of the Spanish-American War. They rode up, uh, they rode up the hill and did stuff, and he was a hero anyway. Um, not tension. Well, I guess that's fair. Uh, let's see, where were we? He returned to Fort Thomas in 1917 uh, and became an officer after being promoted to second lieutenant. By then, the war in Europe had escalated. So this is in 1917. The war's been going on for about two years at this point. By then, the war in Europe had escalated. So it was pretty clear the U.S. would have to join the fight. Woodrow Wilson was our president. And Woodrow Wilson was a very well-known isolationist. Back in the day, they called it an isolationist. In this day and age, they might call it America first. He didn't believe we should get it. we should get involved. It wasn't our place. This and that. Nationalism. But the biggest issue was we were sending supplies to Great Britain and, you know, France and all that. The Germans were sinking our ships with submarines. They were sinking civilian supply ships. Um, And the thing, if I remember correctly, I don't have it sitting right in front of me. I think the thing that pushed us over the edge to get into the war was the Germans sank... um, a civilian, like a, uh, it was an American vessel, but it was a medical vessel. So they sank a medical vessel and killed a lot of Americans. And at that point, Woodrow Wilson, I mean, he didn't really have a choice. He didn't want to go to war, but again, didn't really have a choice. It was pretty clear we were going to be joining the fight. And as Woodfield prepared to deploy with the American Expeditionary Forces, he married his longtime girlfriend, Lorena Wiltshire. You know, something nice that happened before he left. Just getting married. <laughs> just got married. And just like, bye. That happened, though. I've been, I mean, I've been in the country for a long time. I just realized that I love you. Um, bye. You got to, like, put yourself in that position, though. If you knew that tomorrow you were getting shipped out, or next week you were getting shipped out to go fight in a war where millions of people have already died. And, like, yeah. there's a pretty good chance you're not going to make it back. You're telling me right now. You wouldn't marry Jess? Depends what the benefits are going to be for. But that was a lot of it is they got benefits. Like, so there was benefits back then. So like, yeah, pay death. Yeah. You get money from the government. But I'm just saying, like, at that point, like there's you got nothing to lose. And if you make it out, then you come home. You, you know, there's a sense of consistency. There's a reason to come home. If I was in that position, I like, fuck, man, I, it would be no, no question. No doubt. No doubt. Mm. In the fall of 1918, Woodfill and thousands of other Americans were sent off to France, just as the six-week-long Meuse-Argonne battle was unfolding. Woodfill was quickly promoted to first lieutenant, and he was just outside the town of Cunel with his unit, the 60th Infantry, when he went on, as a, sharp, he went on a sharpshooting tear 
that is comparable to the exploits of his fellow war hero, the famed Army Sergeant Alvin York. Alvin York killed a lot of Germans. He, like, manned a machine gun and was holding off, like, a whole offensive. It was pretty wild. That's why he's okay. the most famous American soldier from World War One. Anyway, so, it was October 12th, 1918. Woodfill was advancing with Company M when they came under heavy attack. Since he was in charge of the unit, Woodfill told most of the men to hang back. He and two other soldiers went ahead to find and knock out any enemy machine gun nests. When they got to the village, Woodfill's keen eyes noticed muscle, fl muzzle flashes coming from a church tower about 300 yards away. And this is according to a curator from the Fort Polk Museum. He aimed his rifle toward where the gunner's head would be. He actually couldn't see the person and fired. The gunner dropped dead. So he sees the muzzle flash, you know, it's out in front. He, and he thinks, okay, so the person has to be, let's say, three feet behind that because those machine guns were really long. So the person's got to be behind that somewhere. So he aimed behind, fired, and allegedly, you know, killed the gunner. Um, this is where his hunting experience comes into, uh, comes into play. Woodfill repeated that process four more times as new gunners tried to take charge of the unmanned machine gun. He only had four shots, or five shots, in his rifle, and he took all five gunners who tried to man the gun. According to his Medal of Honor citation, another enemy soldier charged at Woodfill during this time, but Woodfill killed the man with his pistol after a hand-to-hand -hand fight. After turning, er, he turned his sights to a potential gun nest at a stable. Woodfill let off another shot. The machine gun never fired again. A short distance later, Woodfill crawled into a range or into range of a third machine gun nest. As he took cover in a shell hole, he got hit with the remains of a mustard gas shell that lingered there. Yeah. So, real quick, sidebar on mustard gas. I wanna I wanna read a little bit about what mustard gas actually is, and then you will sort of understand why it was so bad. So, mustard gas has a long history of being used as a blister agent in warfare and is one of the most well-studied agents. It can form large blisters on exposed skin and in the lungs. Um, so you breathe it in, it's real bad. Often resulting in prolonged illness and ending in death. Sulfur mustards, which is mustard gas, uh, are viscous liquids at room temperature and have an odor resembling mustard plants, garlic, or horseradish. Um, it was first used as a chemical weapon in World War I. Um, it was used in the Iran-Iraq War, which resulted in over 100,000 casualties. So, like, Shut the fuck up. Are you serious? Yeah, it's real bad. Oh, the war between Iraq and Iran. Yep, yeah. That was so, in, like, the 80s or something? That was in, yeah, like, the mid to late 80s. Um, wow. And it can be deployed by means of artillery shells, aerial bombs, rockets, or spraying it from an aircraft. In, in uh, World War I, it was mainly artillery shells. So That's some fucked up. You know, and it, it was later outlawed by the Geneva Convention, yeah? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, like, you know it's a messed up thing if yeah, the whole bad. world is like, A, even if we want to kill each other, like, let's not do this. We're not going to do it like this, because it, yeah. like, it was a really bad way to go. I mean, it's it was, kind of unfair yeah. in a way, too, because then there's no tactic. Like, you could literally, I mean, we're talking about, like, nowadays might be, like, cyber. But, like you said, you could take mustard gas and just flow a, lo a low airplane over your enemies 
And if you don't get shot down, you just drop yep. mustard gas all over them. And that was why the majority, I mean, all soldiers had chemical warfare training. So they all had mm. gas masks. The horses yeah. even had gas masks um, because mustard gas was so widely used in World War I. Um, and it killed thousands of people. I mean, it was, it was devastating. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. So I just want to preface that that's what he got hit with the remains of a mustard gas artillery shell. So, so he maybe had something that was like left over on the ground and he crawled up to or something like that. Yeah. When he jumped in that okay. shell hole, the shell hole was ah. from a mustard gas round. Um, so after, so I'll, I'll go back a little bit. He took cover in a shell hole and he got hit with the remains of the mustard gas that lingered there. So he made his way to a ditch about 40 yards from the enemy gun. Uh, while he was in that ditch, he took out another gunner and the four replacements with his rifle again. So these are five shot bolt action rifles. It's a Jeez. Springfield, um, yeah. probably a Springfield 1917 or whatever. He took out all five gunners oh. once again. And then he used his pistol to kill two more men who tried to get up close and personal with him. This is like, this is like easy mode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like when you're playing against the kindergartners in Call yeah. of Duty. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, and it continues from here. So, Woodfill reloads his rifle and then spots a German sniper in a tree and he shoots him out of that tree. Woodfill then called on two soldiers with him to rush a fourth machine gun nest. Woodfill killed five of its crew and injured three others who were taken prisoner. A few minutes later, a fifth machine gun crew came into view. Woodfill charged this one, killing five men on the machine gun before jumping into a shell hole for cover. According to his Medal of Honor citation, two other enemy soldiers turned their guns on him. When Woodfill wasn't able to shoot anymore, he grabbed a nearby pickaxe and killed them. Yeah. You know, I'm not... I'm not... <laughs> I'm Dude, not like World War I was the, crazy. The, I know, okay. The, the idea of that is insane. It's like a movie. It's like a movie. That, that being said... It is like a movie. Yeah. I'm not refuting the fact that this is his, on his Medal of Honor citation or like, hmm, but it's like makes me be like, really? Yeah. I, I think, I think like, that you, who, you have to imagine people were there with him and people witnessed this, but there was okay. probably a, a sense like when you receive the Medal of Honor, you're, an, you're a damn American hero. And I'm sure okay. that maybe events were. I don't know, exaggerated a little bit, but I bet it happened pretty damn close to this. Okay. I mean, yeah. I would just, I would have to I'll think. Just, I, we have to go with it. That's what it says. But it is so long ago before anything was like recorded uh, through like, you know, everything today, like we hear is through radio or recorded on camera or something like that, right. you know? So, you know, I guess history is just written by the victors too. So That's true. Yeah, that's very you know, true. Uh that's the story. Wow, that's crazy. That's the story. That's the story. And so, thanks to all of those actions, and meanwhile, he had been exposed to mustard gas, which 
really inhibits your ability to see it and it, it uh, inhibits your ability to breathe. So he's dealing with all of those things while also like being a goddamn Avenger. Yeah, I was gonna say he's a superhero. He's a fucking. Thor. So thanks to his actions, his company was able to push forward to their objective. Wow. Woodfill was then evacuated from the battlefield and spent ten weeks in a hospital recovering from the debilitating effects of the mustard gas. Wow. On February 9th, 1919, famous Army General John Pershing, which he was in charge of the Allied Expeditionary Force, or the American Expeditionary Force in World War I, presented Woodfill with the Medal of Honor and promoted him to captain. Pershing uh, praised Woodfill for fighting and not just occupying trenches for months on end, which, if anyone knows anything about World War I, that was the classic problem. You people sat in trenches and didn't do anything, and it was a constant tug of war. And really, ground was—I mean, ground was won in like yards, not miles huh. or whatever. It was, and then well, you'd lose that ground and then gain that ground, and it was just crazy. There's nothing was happening. Well, people were probably fucking terrified because they're raining mustard gas through their bullets and through the sky. That <laughs> well, like, and yeah, you're charging I mean, really, across really. no man's land, getting mowed down by machine guns. For sure, like what? What's what's the incentive at that right. point? It's fucking yeah. hard for king and country, man. That was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, at least have, like arise a sense of hope that you can win something. Yeah, <laughs> like but- there's a couple quotes. Um, there was a couple quotes about World War One. I. I wanted to highlight one in particular real quick. This was from a British captain, and he said the trench was a horrible sight. The dead were stretched out on one side. Um, the the dead were stretched out on one side, one on top of the other, six feet high. I thought at the time I should never get the peculiar, disgusting smell of the vapors of warm human blood heated by the sun out of my nostrils. I would rather have smelt a gas a hundred times, and I can never describe that faint, sickening, horrible smell, which several times knocked me unconscious altogether. So, like, mm. it's pretty nasty shit. Pretty nasty Thanks shit. For that. That was trench warfare. I mean, that's the reality of World War One. It was probably, as far as like modern warfare goes, it was it was definitely the most horrific. It's the last place I think I would ever want to be. Yeah, World War One. Yeah, and just imagine you're 17 years old. Yeah, and thrown I, into it. Like you said, it, like technology was like so far ahead at that point, but like our brains and like people fighting in that war were from like the 1800s, right? For the most part. And, like, medically, we weren't really all there. And, like, what a horrible situation. Yeah. Like, just to travel to get over there from the United States. We, didn't, we weren't in the war for that long. But, man, what a, what a wild situation. Yeah, World War I was truly horrible. And it's because, like you said, the tactics hadn't caught up with the, with the technology. So, we were still, like, people were still... A tactic that was used was cavalry charges on horses. And they were going against machine guns and tanks nice. and planes. Yeah. And it's like That'll yeah. work. Yeah, that'll that'll work. <laughs> it's like Cowboys versus Aliens. You ever see that movie? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Horrible. Yep. No chance. So moving on with uh Mr. Woodfill's story. Okay. On November eleventh, nineteen twenty one, the tomb of the unknown soldier, which is in Washington, DC, yes. was dedicated in Arlington National Cemetery. Eight highly decorated World War I veterans, handpicked by General Pershing himself, escorted the soldier to the burial grounds, and Woodfill was one of them. 
Woodfill retired from the Army again in 1923 with a pension. But a few years later into the Great Depression, he and his wife were struggling. A petition to get the pension increase was denied by Congress. Woodfill's wife died early in the days of World War II. So when the Army recalled him into service in 1942, he went. The Indiana Historical Bureau said he was given special clearance to serve and at age 59 was still an excellent marksman. But he had the mandatory retirement age of 60 in 1943, so his third bout of service was over and short-lived. When he returned to civilian life, he settled back in his home in the state of Indiana, where he lived until he died on August 10, 1951. Woodfill was initially buried in a local cemetery, but his body was reinterred at Arlington National Cemetery in 1955. His final resting place is beside General Pershing, who, according to the Indiana Historical Bureau, once referred to Woodfill as the greatest single hero in the American forces. I think about this story, and I'm sure there was many stories like it. Stories of ridiculous heroism and bravery. And I think about the horrors that these guys must have gone through. And they, and they were kids. Uh, Woodfill was a man. I mean, he was like 35. He was in the military. He had spent time. He knew sort of, I mean, he didn't know the horrors of war, but like he knew the military. But a lot of the people that served in, in war, in World War One and World War Two specifically, were very young, 17, 18, some even younger. When you ask, why would you want to do this? Why would you ever want to be put in this position? Yeah, why would you? And I think anytime you ever hear them talk about it, you hear these guys talk about why they served and why they did what they did. And it wasn't for country and it wasn't for freedom and it wasn't for good versus evil. It was for the guy next to him. In Woodfill's case, it was his company. It was Company M and he had to get him out of the situation they were in and he had to do whatever it took to make that happen. And so he endured some pretty horrific things and took lives and, but it led to his, his men's survival. And ultimately that's why we do the things that we do is for, you know, our brothers and our sisters and our loved ones. So pretty crazy story. You know, I, I want to be honest, world war one, world war two, like I'm not a huge war war military like that era was like was so recent but it's i don't know it's just having a hard time articulating how i feel about it. It, it i guess maybe being somewhere in the brink of like maybe we're we might be going into something like this again yeah and the idea of of us kind of st- paying standby until things like get out of hand and then we're like all right well, let's just go fucking end the war yeah and then you know we're 30 now and do we make that decision to go right like who would fight that battle and like to put yourself in that position where the whole world is kind of coming down on you and you were back in the 1918 or 1930s i don't know what the word would be i mean bravery but i would seriously i just can't help but question like especially world war one with how horrible it was and the fact that countries came together for the Geneva Convention said, war is horrible, yep. but this mustard gas is way too horrible. Yeah. You know, it's just like, what the fuck? Like, I don't like, know. Like, there's even, there's basic rights even in war. Like, they, 
They agreed with yeah. the Geneva Convention that there's basic rights that people should have, even in wartime. Sure, and that's what it did. But even then, like, we're fighting, pol like, it's politics. Like, that's what war is. I mean, sometimes land, sometimes religion, but with, with, with our country, it's always politics. It's not about land. If we're going somewhere else, something as political is going on. Yeah. And I think the people that fight these wars, especially World War I, World War II, where, where they were drafted, I think there's a very large percentage of them that didn't want to fucking be there on both sides, but they yeah. were following what their country had. Like, World War I was the one that they had the shutdown over Christmas, and they all played a soccer game in the middle yep. of the field. Yeah. And, like, they came out of their trenches, and no one killed each other, and the next day they started killing each other. They, yep. So it's like, it's... You know, I'm not going to be a, a a siren for no war, peace, my brother, brotherhood and world peace. But, you know, it's you hear stuff like that, like this story. And you're like, man, what the fuck have we made? Yeah, it's true. I think the, the, the problem is there's always going to be bad people in the world. There's always going to be bad people doing bad shit to innocent people. There has to be somebody good that is willing to kill them as bad as that is. And as horrible as that is, that's the reality of it. There's always going to be somebody that's doing bad shit that needs to be, that needs to die. We can just hope and pray that the, the, the horrors of like world war one and world war two never get repeated again. But man, who knows what the way the world is these days. It's hard to say. Yeah. Nowadays, it's like what I maybe mentioned, like when we mustard gas, like what's the equivalent of that? Maybe like we don't have as far as a weapon, like we have weapons of mass destruction. But I mean, we talk about cyber warfare um, and the damage that that has caused. Yep. Um, and, you know, you go through comments and stuff on on YouTube and Instagram and like uh, social medias and like you read all these people and like, is it are they even people, though? Like, how do we fucking know that this is someone real? from our country that lives in our community saying these things, whether you're one side or the other. Uh, so like that, the breakdown of trust that can go into that cyber warfare, I mean, divide and conquer, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's what we talked about off air a couple of weeks ago is like this shit going on in our country and in the world. It's almost too fucking convenient. It's, it's almost too convenient that we can draw these parallels and divides between both sides in our country and For uh, sure. and it's so toxic uh so like, whether and other countries are doing that have done that or we do that to other countries it's that to me i can't help but kind of draw a parallel like of just mustard gas being poured over everybody without right. fucking regard and there's no chance or hope yeah it's it's not the same but like it's it's a it's, it's the same idea it's a different action yeah, I mean, if you if I told someone that had mustard gas poured on them, they'd probably shoot me in the face. And I agree, yeah, you probably should. That's kind of, it's not the same, but, you know, as far as tactic, like, if you put, spread a bunch of mustard gas, I mean, divide, right? That would probably divide people yeah. up. They'd probably run in all different directions, scatter, and conquer. And we're, we're more divided now than we have been in probably ever. Uh, well, I shouldn't yeah, say that. I mean, maybe. there was a civil you know, war I, and whatnot, but yeah. I think that I think that a lot of the stuff that we're going through now is uh, is blown like i don't think there's as much division as we're led to believe um yeah. i think that at the end of the day we are we're all 
American citizens who all generally want the same things for our lives. And we tend to just have disagreements on the way that we think those things should happen and finding that common ground again, which is what brings us, I mean, what makes society work, having uh, sort of an unspoken and spoken set of values and morals is what makes society work and especially American democracy work. And that's, we're not there right now, but I think going back to your analogy of, you know, looking at like right now talking about the internet and cyber this and that, and then talking about like mustard gas, if more people looked back and chose to look at the horrid atrocities that have happened that humans have committed against each other, maybe we would be less likely to commit the same atrocities now because at the end of the day, the stuff breaks down to the same things. The, the Serbian nationalist terrorist group wanted something. They, would, they weren't heard, and they felt like the only way they were going to be heard is that they assassinated you know, this powerful person. And it's a sim, I, I think it, it, humans, ha, humans haven't changed. We're the same. The means yeah. in which we do the things have changed. We have the internet. We have more advanced weapons. We have this and that. We're the same as we've always been. There were 19-year-old Roman soldiers drawing dicks on Hadrian's Wall in England back in the, you know, before Christ era. So, like, we're the same. It's yeah. just the, the times have changed. So, look back on history. Learn from it. Remember. And look to understand your, you know, fellow human instead of vilifying them because we're all the same we all want generally the same thing there are some people who don't and those people should be dealt with in the in the appropriate way but for the most part we're all brothers and sisters just trying to make it in the world man yeah dude that's that's such a great point i think that's why we love doing history episodes is they're fun and we usually learn something i didn't know who this guy was at all uh so that his story in specific is interesting and yes he whether we like it or not america was in the war and we he played a great part in ending the war which is what we want if we want wars to fucking end and ideally we want to win <laughs> yeah yeah of course um but yeah draw these parallels back to history you think we were more divided than ever but man this whole country was founded on division and yeah. disagreement and two different mindsets or ways of life more, yeah. more than two different ways of life is where we're a melting pot i mean yeah uh, and that's man, why i think so that good people people look at america and they're like america is the best country ever you know whatever i i truly believe that like we're in a place now where we can move forward and we can have the america that like george washington and all the founding fathers thought that we could be we could come together and accept differences and accept some cultural differences, but like all falling under the American flag and what that represents and what that means. And I think people forget that and we get too caught up in who's Republican and who's Democrat and who's this and who's that instead of just basing the decisions that we make and the way we live our lives, that we are all freedom loving people who should be judged by the content of our character and not the political party that we may be a part of or uh, color of your a, skin you know, whatever the, or the color of your skin i mean and that's what like the color of your skin shouldn't even ma- it shouldn't matter it shouldn't be a thing who you choose to love and who you choose to have sex with shouldn't matter what gender you decide to be shouldn't matter none of those things should be forced on anyone and none of those things should matter and as soon as we can accept that as a society 
and understand that that's just part of freedom, the better off we're going to be. And, but it takes us as individuals to do that, to understand that, to have some rational discourse over these topics and to have, you know, these conversations that lead to a better understanding of why these things matter and why they're important and moving forward in the best way possible that represents all of us because we're all just trying to do the same shit. And before you know it, shit's going to be really bad and none of us are going to be able to do the things we want to do. Yeah. So, you know, like they used to say, united we stand, divided we fall. That's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, we're all just humans trying to have a human. We're all ha- humans having a human experience. Yep. Uh, that's why I, in the past couple of weeks, we've had discussions about yeah, you know, everything that you mentioned as far as, um, you know, abortions and trans and what gender you identify as and things that are really like a hot topics right now that haven't yeah. been in the past. And it's like what I've come to realize I had perspectives from other people is, too, is like, yeah, we're all just humans having a human experience. So don't yep. judge each other. Right. Anyways, that's that's the perfect world. And I think I genuinely believe that most people do feel like that in America. I think yeah. most people are centrist i guess they're more central than far left or far right uh and i think that that's been silenced i think that we're forced to take sides because we see shit on the internet and that, that right lights that flame so i i agree with you this was a great story and i appreciate telling you. this is a discussion i didn't think it would go into afterwards but yeah it takes us i, I this is gonna sound cheesy and I, I don't give a shit it takes us the weekly warriors the people who are on the ground living our lives we're having the human experience you know we're and everyone in all different walks of life we're all here we're all doing it we're all trying to be the best we can be it takes us to come together and put people into political offices that actually represent that and move past racism and move past transphobia and move past homosexual phobia or homophobia and just be us we're American citizens. We value freedom. We value the ability to do the things we want as long as we all fall under the same you know, values, morals, laws. It's very simple. Then we can start tackling some real significant issues. You want to talk about gun control. You want to talk about mental health. You want to talk about all these things that no one actually wants to talk about, and then we just want to talk about symptoms, or not the symptoms, the, the, you know, the outcome. Instead of what's actually causing this shit, like ridiculous sociological inequality and uh, socioeconomic inequality, those are hard things to tackle. But those are the things that we have to work towards. And we're the ones who do it. The people who, our generation particularly, who've put our heads in the sand for 20 years because life has been easy. And it's not fucking easy anymore. It's fucking hard. And we can either get on board and figured out or the like shit's going to fall apart it to think that our life our way of life is going to change if we don't do something and i don't want it to i like my life i'm very happy so we have to come together yeah there's a lot of people that don't have our life then that's not that's not i mean not you shouldn't want our life but you should be able to want you should be able to enjoy the life that you want and that's what this country we're the only country that ever in the history of the fucking world that's been founded on, you know, democracy and not one dictator or king or queen. Right. We were founded on a, a balance of power. Yep. 
So we can do this. I don't know if our life's totally going to change. I think we've been through some pretty horrible, horrid shit in this history. Um, I think we hear about it way more often and more frequently now because of where we're at technology-wise. So tune in next week, guys. We're going to be right back doing the same thing, hitting it hard. Keep discovering. We love, uh, we, we love Earth-Fed Muscle and Apsy Farms. Um, have a good week. Peace out. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.